Welcome on into the show. You made it. This is the tune-up. He is Benny Horowitz. I am Denny Gallagher, snare campaign provocateur. What's going on, dude? Happy Tuesday. I love Tuesday. Me too. It's a great day. Finest day of the week. I don't know why I said that. How you doing, Denny? What's going on? You're all wet? Shit oh. out of the shower? I am uh, just for me. I'm saturated in this Major League Baseball postseason. I think that's what's happening with me today. <laughs> I don't mind it. I gotta tell you, I'm rooting for the Dodgers. Yeah, and I'm doing it for a couple reasons. I'm not anti-Rays. I hear all these Yankees fans being like, "Fuck the Rays." Yeah, I gotta be honest. The Rays to me are like like uh, the stepchild that my family adopted when I was already in my 20s. You know, I don't have like an emotional response to the Rays. Yeah. And I actually kind of root for the the cellar dwellers of the AL East. Like if Baltimore, <laughs> Toronto, or the Rays are involved, I kind of pull for them because you watch those teams so much, you start to grow an affinity for some of the players, yeah. you know? So I don't hate the Rays, but I really like Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I, I feel he's for him. such a good guy. I feel for him. He once requested to be on a Gaslight Anthem uh, guest list for Coachella. We obliged, and he was a no-show. We think he was a no-show. And then never heard again. So, But apparently at some point in my life, Clayton Kershaw knew who my band was, I think. Was this before he started blowing postseason games or after? uh, I would say before. So you're, oh, dude, the universe works in mysterious ways. He blows you guys off, and next thing you know, he's like the opposite of Mr. October. All he had to do was come <laughs> rub my belly, you know? And then on top of that, with the Clayton Kershaw, it's a lot of fun to me to just watch, like, Boston fans right now watch Mookie Betts. Oh, I love it. Series, mm-hmm. Just kind of, like, enjoying their, uh, <laughs> their cap flexibility and Alex Verdugo. <laughs> And the offseason and watching Mookie Betts leading off for the World Series Dodgers. Uh, that's fun for me, too. Because as the aforementioned AL Ace teams, I don't root against. <laughs> I do root against the Boston Red Sox actively. My favorite thing about people from Boston, and I can say this because our listenership in Boston, as you would expect, is not very large. Come on, I- you're so white. <laughs> you should love us. I'm white. I'm Irish. I, I, I should yeah, check like every single box, but yeah. everybody from Boston leaves to go on to bigger and better things. You need to leave Boston. Heck, the country even started in Boston and was like, now nah, we're good. I mean, if you use the NBA as an example, <laughs> Boston may have been, you know, the birth of the super team. So, so as far as the NBA is concerned, a few people went to Boston to win a title yeah. in, that, in that regard. But this was all before... Uh, you know, after the '80s, it was over for them. They have not you know won. It did. It did. It all changed in 2004. All of it changed. The Boston, New York thing. Yeah. All of it. It used to have this vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they were so mad, mm. and they had a reason to be, and they were so close so many times, and it was this crazy. It was the curse and the ghosts and the myth, and then after '04, you know, they became really trendy. All of a sudden, the people from the suburbs like the Red Sox again. <laughs> and by, you know, the early 2010s, they're just like the Yankees. All yeah. they're doing is sieving money on big-time free agents, expecting to be near the top all the time. You know, World Series dominance. They've been the better team over the course of the last 20, 25 years. So 
the whole thing there changed. Like the whole, there's no chippiness anymore. It's yeah. not the way it used to be. Maybe that's a good thing. I yeah, hope it's, I hope it's uh, taken a weight off their souls. With the, with the way the discourse is in the country, I think unity is a very good thing. Yeah, let's go. F- you know what, <laughs> Danny? In the end, it's just baseball, you know? Yeah, just baseball. It's a baseball. game invented in Hoboken, New Jersey. That's right. Take credit for that. <laughs> and fresh mozzarella. <laughs> Which is... Crazy now that at the spot where they invented baseball, you can now get a nice margarita pizza. It's crazy. Of course, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of things that bring people together like pizza, it's time for this day of music history. Speaking of bringing people together, not so much today. Very contentious day in music history. Oh, yeah? And I know I've had a couple bum out ones recently, so I was trying to find something more fun. But today is the day that uh, members of Leonard Skinner, Ronnie Van Zant, the guitar player, his sister, the road manager, died in a plane crash, mm. um, which was a, a, an epic day in music history. And even though the thing that Leonard Skinner is attached to, I've always resented and not stuck around. But uh, their music's good. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and then also the three members of Two Live Crew mm-hmm. on this day were acquitted of obscenity charges, <laughs> I believe for the live antics they had during the Shake Your Rump era. Um, but that was also not a fun story. So I tried to get into something more fun. Yeah. And today was the opening of the Sydney Opera House. Oh, how fun. On this day in 1973. Wow. Now, I thought... Something so big and so massive, there must have been a story there. And, of course, there is. So it started all the way in March 1st, 1959. It took 14 years to complete. It houses 8.2 million visitors a year. It does more than 2,000 shows over 363 days a year for more than 1.5 million people. This place is epic. And it's also, I don't know if you've ever been. It's, it is one of those things. That when you start, when you see with your own eyes, you go, "Wow, that's stunning." Yeah. You know, that's something that I'm glad I flew, you know, 39 hours straight to come <laughs> see. Um, so, but there was a Danish architect named Jorn Utzen. I hope <laughs> I'm saying his name right. And it turned out he left Australia midway through the construction and never saw its completion. Wow. And this was the brainchild of the Sydney Opera House. He. Mm. Uh, from literally submitting plans to being accepted, moving his family to Australia for like a decade to start this process. He had this really public standoff with politicians over money, or eventually he found himself hiding away and having secret meetings to salvage it all. And eventually in the mid sixties left, uh, almost eight years prior to, um, prior to its completion. And it turns out, you know, the story, of course, because it was a politician he was dealing with, became muddled in the press. He started doing politician things, using sort of a xenophobic uh, look on things, telling people that uh, there should be an Australian architect on the project and uh, more Australian laborers getting paid more and kind of turned it into a political thing. Mm. And he, a guy named Davis Hughes ended up kind of tanking the project and smeared this guy's name. But the nice news is on August 27th in, in the mid-90s, 
the uh, Royal Australian Institute of Architects finally paid tribute to Utzon's work with a commemorative Solman Award and an apology, presumably for not having done any sooner. Luckily, Utzon was in his 70s when it happened. He got to see it happen and got a little bit of uh, love for all, for all the work. Very nice. But uh, yeah, a torrid tale behind the opera house. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you know, Benny, once again, you kind of uh, you made it a little bit negative. I want to, I want to celebrate somebody <laughs> and a band. Again. I want to celebrate people with this segment today. I want to bring the people up. I want to take them to church, acting like it's a Sunday on a Tuesday. But on this day in 1978, the police made their debut at CBGB's. Uh, you know, they came over here economy, instruments in hand, suitcases in hand, everything to make their dreams happen in New York for their first U.S. gig. Guitarist Andy Summers recounts a night. Uh, he says, no one there knew who we were or had ever heard of us. We had to prove our worth. And knowing this makes us even more determined to blow the audience away. They did. Then they did another set that night at 2.30 in the morning. And the rest, as you can say, is history so how about that but i kind of wanted to turn this on you what was the gig early on for you guys where you were like we have to show up prove it and then not say it changed everything but there was a noticeable difference after uh well i think those two things were separate from yeah. me because i honestly had that that kind of prove it mentality from show one until now until my 40s you hmm. know what i mean yeah like if i don't have that feeling that kind of means like the thing i'm doing is lacking steam or i'm having a personal reckoning where i have to come to terms with something but i think if you show up in front of a crowd of people that have never seen you before and you love your music and you and you think uh, well about your own situation and you have confidence about what you're doing, you want to just kill people with it. Mm. And and I definitely had that instinct early on. If there was five people in a room who looked bored, I mean, I was making eye contact mm. and doing everything I could to just get them engaged with it, you know? Yeah. So uh, that that's kind of my MO and it has been from day one. I think a lot of great bands have that, especially... A lot of great bands need to start by opening. Yeah. And, you know, you can sort of tell this delineation between certain bands when they're in that context. Because some bands are happy opening because it's easy. Mm. You know what I mean? You can kind of coast. You can play 30 minutes. You can keep people warm. They're not really there to see you anyway. You did your job. You get paid. And then you see people getting kind of this opening routine where they're the opening band. Because yeah. that's how they present themselves. And any time, especially in a gaslight scenario, we were put in that sort of situation, our mentality was to fucking make the show as hard as possible for the bands playing after yeah, us. Yeah, 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 no. Exactly. Be like, yo, you like, <laughs> all right, you want to take us out? Like, you better fucking bring it because we're going to bring it. And, and just raising the whole show and raising the whole level of it all, you know? Um, almost like competitive. Yeah. Like, seriously, I'm, I am competitive. I, and if there's... I want everyone to do well, but I want to do as well as right. anybody that's there. You I know? mean, it's it, it's a stand-up comedy approach. You, you always want to be the person that nobody wants to follow. Right. And then to answer the second part of your question, yeah, there are some uh, 
some shows in my head that were like um, turnaround moments where you could tell something different was happening. Mm. I remember um, the first time we drove down and played the fest in Gainesville. Mm. You know, we'd been touring really small, you know, doing super small venues all over the U.S., house shows, you know, but starting to draw a crowd where in these places we were bringing maybe, you know, 10 to 15 people who actually knew our shit. And it was like, holy shit. To us, that was fucking huge, you know? Like, oh, my God, we're selling more than five shirts a night. Like, that's crazy. So, you know, we knew, like, people were interested, but it hadn't been at any kind of volume yet. Yeah. And then we played that show, and I guess all those sort of, like, 10 to 15 people from all around the U.S. came to Gainesville for the fest. Either half were in bands you know, like bands we had played with and stuff before. And before you know it, we sold out this little venue bar down there and just fucking blew it out and like blew the roof off. Yeah. It was fucking fun as hell. <laughs> by the end of the stage, by the end of the show, there was like just a sea of people on stage. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not going to have this chance very often. So I bail at the end of Diner with my big <laughs> hits. I jump on top of the kick and I leap. <laughs> onto all the people you know it's like the first version of a crowd surf i've done That's since i was like a little teenager and of course i'm up for like three seconds and in that time i fucking kicked fallon in the head oh no <laughs> yeah and he's like bro come on you know let's not do that again huh that was around what like 2008 2009 maybe even earlier because i think that was one of the first things i saw of you guys on like youtube because it feels like those 10 people that you all brought there like somehow recorded it and you could see what somebody was like live before they before you actually went to the show so i wonder what role that whole thing played for you guys interesting yeah yeah i don't know but it was fun and then i had to like run back behind the kit (laughs) at the end just to do like the final hit you know and then i also another one that stands out is we we had finished recording 59 sound mm. in LA. Um, but no one heard, no one knew the record yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we'd only play the song live maybe a couple times, maybe not ever. Um, and we played at the knitting factory in LA and there was a lot of people there and it was a cool show, but it was, I think maybe the first time we played 59 sound live. Mm. Um, and something like there was like a feeling like we all had like, we already were feeling good about the record, and then, and then, um, you know, that was sort of like uh, a confirmation. It was like people, people have finally heard it, and mm. they like it too. Like yeah. you can tell, they're That's really amazing. into it. You know, really cool. That was that was a pretty cool one. All right, Benny. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the newest band across our radar, and that's Guardrail from Chicago. Their new EP, Yikes, is out now on Open Your Ears Records. They've got catchy melodies and witty hooks. Guardrail brings their own style of diet punk right to your stereo. They're not quite bad religion, but they're also not some 41. Here's a clip of their new single, Till We're Dead. And I've been playing that one on my fall playlist, whether you're going to a cidery, pumpkin picking, it is the perfect song for that long drive. If you like what you hear, you can go on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S dot com. 
to pick up your copy. Guardrail, get the vinyl. Support hard copy music. Let's get this. Guardrail, yikes, out today on Open Your Ears Records. Go grab it. Benny, this past week, the city of Atlanta experienced yet another sports setback as the Braves blew a lead in the ALCS. Uh, the Do- uh, excuse me, the NLCS. The Dodgers going through. They came back to win. This af- after a decade where we've seen, you know, the Falcons blow the Super Bowl lead and then uh, tailspin into whatever they've become. Not a lot of success happening in Atlanta outside of Atlanta United, which even now, I mean, they're middle of of, of the pack. But, Benny, I wanted to use this opportunity. I wanted to use someone's failure to lift us up, if you will. Yes. Kind of like a open mic or a a festival. I want to talk about the worst sports cities in America because, you know, there's quite a few you could go with. Uh, you, You could go with Atlanta, uh, given, you know, like if you go by the main four sports category. All right, but, but what are we talking criteria here? Are we talking just wins, losses, and titles? Okay. My- or are we talking about the, uh, the level of crowd and stadium and, and experience? Like, like, or is it the all-encompassing? I, was, I mean, you can take the crowd element to it but i was going off of on-field success um kind of what the region overall represents you know the region let's leave it there because i'll just make philly the worst sports (laughs) okay okay perfect but so i had three cities i was considering i'll kind of lead off here i was considering sacramento i was considering Uh buffalo and The city that I ended up closing in on was Cincinnati. Now, I didn't go with Buffalo because right now, I like, I know that the football team lost on Monday night, but the Bills are 4-2. Things are looking promising. Um, you know, I think Sacramento's off the board, right? Yeah. They have one team. It's like, it's like they're lucky to even have that team. And that team has been pretty good at times. And they're going to have a Major League Soccer team in yeah, two years. Yeah, no now. titles, but it's a small city with a – with a professional basketball team that no offense to Sacramento, they're kind of lucky to have. And uh, so a a city like that, I don't think has been suffering. You know what I mean? They're not like close and they've been suffering or have, uh, you know, 365 days a year of suffering like a city with three or four major sports. Now I was, um, one that I thought of real quick was Houston, but, you know, they've had the success with the Astros, so that kind of uh, neglects all of the, yeah. the Rockets and Texans suffering. But the city that I closed in on was Cincinnati because, you know, the 1990s were great for this city, but the early sure. part, you know, they had the Reds win in 1990. The Bengals have not won a playoff, an NFL playoff game since 1991. The only kind of, in, in the last 10 years, a real positive thing that they had was Xavier basketball, but Chris Mack has since left the Xavier program for Louisville, uh, moved Xavier all the way up to the Big East, so now they're kind of making a, a little bit more money. But the pride and joy outside of my good friend and Miami Heat reporter Jason Jackson out of Cincinnati, Ohio, you'd be surprised the uh, NBA broadcasting talent out of Cincinnati. But they aren't athletes. But the pride and joy of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, Ballon d'Or runner-up Rose Lavelle on the women's side for for soccer, but that's about as great as you get when it when it comes to Cincinnati. So Cincinnati, not a whole lot of success. 
Uh, they do have Joe Burrow now, so we'll we'll see how that goes. But overall, if you look at the last 30 to 40 years of Cincinnati after the Big Red Machine, not much to like. All right, I got. I think. I think. I do agree that Cincinnati is a melancholy sports town. Yeah. But because of those 90s runs with the Reds, they don't have quite the the barren years that some of these other I mean, that's a whole generation. Have. You know, like, yeah. like, I think you could easily put Buffalo up there, mm-hmm. um, especially because of the heartbreak they suffered, like how close they came. I mean, they had one of the best teams in NFL history. Yeah. You know, you don't make it to four Super Bowls by accident. Mm. And losing all of them and having your gut ripped out, especially, you know, kick heard around the world mm. and Scott Norwood. Uh, Sabres haven't done much. And it, and it's like a hardcore fan base up there. Yeah. Like, those are like diehard fucking fans. So I think Buffalo's a tough town to uh, reconcile with right now. I'd also like to add a couple others into the mix that we should talk about, okay? Um Minneapolis? Okay. I mean, we're talking lowly, lowly, lowly times for the for the Twins and the uh, Timberwolves for quite a while. I mean, but the um, Vikings had moderate su- success in the last 10 years. Moderate. Yeah. Uh, what about Cleveland, Ohio? Right next to Cincinnati. What's going on over there? Indians went to the World Series. You know. Oh, we got a couple Cavs yeah. World Series. Yeah, yeah. Cavs title. Yeah, Cavs yeah. takes them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what about Washington D.C.? Nats title, a one Nats and, title, and uh, and uh, the Capitals won a Stanley Cup. What so, about Phoenix? Ooh, Phoenix though. So the, so, so they had the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, yeah, they, a, okay, they had the one a a good run with the Suns with seven seconds or less with Nash and all of that stuff. Um, oh, the uh, the Cardinals went to that one Super Bowl against the Steelers with Kurt Warner. Didn't take it home. Didn't um, take it home. And so I guess backs are the only title. And I guess if you want to count uh, the Suns' bu- run in the bubble, you know it's a pretty good time to be in Phoenix. Um, All right. So I think so. I think discounting Sacramento because they only have the one team. I'd say Cincinnati and Buffalo. Yeah. Or lowly. Lake Towns. <laughs> now, Not doing well. I would put those at the top. Here's my question about Buffalo. I mean, the last few years, it could be New York City. Right. right. Now, that was one of the ones I was very much going to choose. Um, but do Buffalo basketball fans, are they Raptors fans? Mm, no, I wouldn't think yeah? so. Okay. Because okay. I, I know a lot of Bills fans from the city. Mm. And there are... Uh, like if you get like north of the city with not that far, yeah. there's a chance you could be a Bills fan. Mm. So I I would guess that uh, Buffalo would lean a lot closer to be either Cavs fans or down to the Knicks. Gotcha. I, gotcha if I had gotcha. to guess, yeah. There you have it, Buffalo, Cincinnati. Honorable mention at this point, New York City for the last couple of years that we've had. Man, shout out to the Rochester Royals. Not sure if you want to count that in that whole. I should say I like both of these towns. Yeah, Cincinnati yeah, yeah. and Buffalo. I'm sorry, <laughs> I spent a lot of time in both of you. I know great people in both of you. Skyline, I know big fans Chile. of your sports teams. <laughs> it's there's no problem with those towns. Yeah, it's just your sports teams. <laughs> All right, halfway point of the podcast, which means it's time for our dollar slice takes. <laughs> 
it seems like people are really good at recycling stuff, right? Mm-hmm. If my recycling even goes to the recycling plant. <laughs> I don't know. That's another podcast we could do. Does it? I think Does so. Does it work? I hope so. I think so. Anyway, you know, I see this naturally occurring product coming every year, falls to the ground, leaves, and then regrows. Leaves. You know, why don't we make anything out of leaves? I, I, I got to assume that science hasn't invested enough time and money into making leaf products. This naturally occurring thing out in the wild that just falls to the ground. It's got to have some kind of natural paper elements to it. I mean, if you can make paper out of trees, why can't you make leaf paper? And it, you'd have boundless amounts. I mean, literally, people spend weeks and months of their lives collecting these just to get them off their lawn. What if you could market your own leaves and sell them, you know, to the paper companies? So I think we should divest a little less money into like F-350s or whatever and divest a little more money into how to make leaves (laughs) a manageable product. I love it. I love, you know, any way to be more green and all of that stuff. And, And I'm not just saying that because you went perfectly into my dollar slice take, which... I think this may be questionable in the Dallas Slice Take category, but I just wanted to share about an experience that oh, I had that was a Dallas, someone's Dallas Slice Take that they kind of okay. took okay. to a whole other level. So yesterday, it's a loose criteria, Denny. It's loose. Exactly. So yesterday I drank clover tea. Have you ever had clover tea? Not sure. I've had clover cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> So essentially, it was hibiscus and clover tea, which is a crazy idea to just be like in your yard or walking down the street and see like a clover and be like, I'm going to ground this up and put this in All right, in well, the help tea. me out first off. Yeah. Well, what the fuck does a clover look like in the wild? What am I looking at here? Is it, what, is it grass? Oh, like a four-leaf clover? Oh, <laughs> like a four-leaf clover. Yeah. Okay, this makes more sense. <laughs> Man, you're so Irish. You're Which I don't know if this is a hate clover tea. You're <laughs> <laughs> green soon. I can only hope. I can only hope. But yeah, no, I think that this is a good idea. I think we need clover teas. I think we need. I think we need clover alcohols. I don't know if you can yeah. grind up a clover and make it into tequila or like ferment it into some sort of whiskey. Sure. The sky's the limit with the clover beverage industry. I like where both of our heads are at. Both of our heads are about repurposing people's yards. Which, listen, people spend a lot of time on this shit, you know? Like, oh man, I, I, I think this is good. I'm this like, is, I'm like low key preparing to have like a yard and just be like a like crazy old man in like his like basement that just out here brewing clovers clover. for sale. <laughs> Fresh clovers, you can make tea. <laughs> You're um, calling kids. <laughs> off the sidewalk on their but hey you junior junior you know that you could do fun things with clovis you ever smoke it? you ever smoke a clover <laughs> i actually at one point i did with a friend of mine uh we would take any kind of piece of paper we would find like a receipt or anything and literally fill it with like lawn grass <laughs> And pretend we were smoking a cigarette and try to smoke it. It, oh, it happened a couple times. That's fun. <laughs> All right. Second half of the podcast and 
Benny, you, you know, we don't really dive into politics here, but when it's necessary, when they come for our turf, when they come for our pontificating platform that we have over here, you know, we start to get a little jealous. You know, we get the dandruff on the back of our neck standing up, if that's even the expression. So the committee, the bipartisan committee designed in regulating these presidential debates have installed an around-the-horn-style mute button for this next debate so that people can get their that the two candidates can get their ideas out and speak freely, I guess. Yeah. So, Benny, I want to know, what areas of life do you think deserve a mute button? We're really going, honestly... This is a real big brain podcast today. We're going, we're we're diving into the uh, linguistics, the gray areas of sports and politics without even really touching on sports and politics. <laughs> I mean, I would say right off the bat, like go into my industry and anytime someone's doing your run of the mill, happy to be here in Cleveland <laughs> sort of speech in between your songs that are usually BS, yeah. kind of mute. But but right off the bat, sometimes you get some artists and singers that you really do want to hear talk because they're super funny. <laughs> First off, didn't Tony Reale write this on Twitter? I think he put this into effect, by the way. Tony Reale. Like eight years ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like these presidential debates need a mute button. I'm the mute king. But, Denny, I'm excited to hear. I heard we have a top ten. Yes. Yeah, so, you know. So the brings you a top ten of mutable things. As anybody that, that grew up within a certain time, big affinity for David Letterman, I came Parts. up with the official Parts. top 10 list of times in life you need a mute button. Are you let's ready go through for this? this? Yeah, let's go through this. All right, number 10, when your college roommate is having sex. <laughs> um, that's okay, need, yeah. Need, yeah, need sure. a mute button. Did this happen to you? <laughs> so, Did you get caught? <laughs> I know the famous story that this happens. You're supposed to put something on the door or whatever. I never went to college. Did this happen to you? Oh, it's multiple times. This is oh. this is when living in a so fun fact about one of my dorms. It was the it was an old Holiday Inn right down by the rave in Milwaukee. And uh-huh. once upon a time, the Beatles stayed at this hotel. So there uh-huh. are these small 1940s style hotel rooms that they squeezed three kids into. And, you know, sex is in the air. The people, Beatles were there. Yeah, yeah. Sex is in the air. I love the smell of it. Exactly. You're Rihanna walking over here. Uh, so, yeah. So this happened to me. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Moving Num- on. Uh, number nine. When your parents tell you that your quote unquote biological clock is ticking. Oh, for goodness. both the men and the women out here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You could use a mute on that. Look at this. That was perfect. I don't know how your phone knows when to use it, but it's. Number eight, when she subtly brings up how all of her friends are engaged. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. Get the hint. Get the hint. <laughs> exactly. We got to listen to my grandpa, John. <laughs> my grandpa, John, anytime I had a girlfriend, especially when I met my now wife, he was just like, what are you doing? You marry the thing. He's like, that's the next step. He didn't understand. He thought that someone... Another Philly was going to come in and steal the lady. Like, once you find one, you got to lock it down, kid. All right, number seven, uh, when he slips his ex into casual conversation mm-hmm. daily. You're going to yeah. want the mute button there. Yeah, I would love a home stenographer <laughs> for that, for sure. Number six, when a college student tries to talk about politics. 
<laughs> that, you know what? I'm going to disagree with that one. Okay. I am. I am. Because college students talking about politics gives me life. Okay. You know what I mean? That's when things actually get done, when movements were made, when big turns in societies were needed. It's the piss and fire of young people that usually gets that going. So I'm, I'm going to listen to college kids talk about politics. I'd rather listen to a college kid than some old bastard. <laughs> oh, well, you'll ask and you shall receive a little later in the list. Number okay. five, the, the number five time you want a mute button in life, when he starts to tell you about the injury that ended his sports career on a first date. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I like that one a lot. I've definitely met a lot of musicians out there in tour and stuff who, who kind of give you this idea that if they didn't play music, they could have gone and done something else like that. Or my old roommate who used to dress up like Moochie Norris and hit the courts in New Brunswick and tell me, yo, I could have been pro. Yeah, happens a lot. All right, number four, Sean Hannity. Yeah. Number three, when any sort of conversation about food or wine turns into a conversation about flavor profiles. Mm. Down. I'm down for that. Get out of here with that. Give me that Velveeta shells and cheese. Benny, you're going to appreciate number two. When people ask about a certain New Jersey band getting back together. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? The Smithereens? Bon Jovi. Richie Sandwich. Trickster? Skid Row? I am wondering when Skid Row is going to get back together. And the number one time when you're going to want a mute button in life when you're listening to a drummer and a radio personality talk about things that they have nothing, <laughs> no idea about. Your top ten list of times uh, you need a mute button in life. Did you just tell the people to mute us? <laughs> don't That's mute me, motherfucker. <laughs> you know what? Like, it's like Nas says. Don't put me in your box if that shit eats tapes. You know? Come on. Um, Come on, Danny. I'm an addict for sneakers. 20s of Buddha and bitches with beepers. <laughs> And it wouldn't be the tune-up if we didn't talk a little bit of basketball. We're getting into the fun part of the NBA season. We're a part where there's a lot of conjecture, the part where we create hills to eventually die on when the postseason comes around. But the coaching carousel is very much up in the air across the entire National Basketball Association. And we have some names to go with some jobs now. So this past week, Ty Lue... It hasn't officially been announced, but it is as good as done. I's and T's just being dotted for the Clippers job. And I like it, but I would have actually would have rather preferred Sam Cassell. Benny, your thoughts on Ty Lue to the Clippers? I, you know, I think the thing we ran into here, again, is the championship issue. You know, and there's just this ongoing theme that people who have championships or want to get championships need a former player or a coach who has done it and been there. And I think that's one of the big reasons Ty Lue uh, is in that situation is between his playing championships and his coaching championships, he's got a resume that holds a lot of weight with these guys. Apparently, he's also one of the better basketball technicians, X's and O's guys that there are. I think that team's going to be without Montrezl Harrell, is going to be with a point guard next season. So I think he's going to have a much more uh, a chance to coach in a more standard way that he's uh, accustomed to coaching and a team that's ready to listen. So I actually like the fit. I think they needed a name. 
Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think Tyler is a good good one over there in the Clippers. Now there's a bunch of different other vacancies, and this kind of leads me to a big thing that I wanted to talk about. It, it's going to be interesting to see when some of these teams uh, hire their coaches because if I'm 18, right, and you're not sure when the next season's going to start, it's probably going to start without fans. Um, yeah. The salary cap's already going to be down for next year. If you can keep it or like a couple million in your pocket for at least till you know the season's going to start, like I think like a team like the Thunder, I think Sam Presti is very good with with the budget down there. I don't think that they're going to hire a coach until maybe a month before the season, mm-hmm. after your rosters are already constructed and stuff like that, because yeah. it it's an unprecedented year uh, and stuff like that. So I think that's a very interesting route. That's true. I think are... a lot of the the mindset right now is looking forward to to 2021 yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, point. a name I've heard, you know, the the for some reason the Van Gundy brothers are linked to a coaching job in the modern NBA. Stand down there with the Pelicans and Jeff with the Rockets, which makes no sense. By the way, yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of talk with the Rockets about how they're going to try to spend. But Tillman Fertitta has taken a big hit during this pandemic. I'm not sure he's going to want to spend over the luxury tax. Uh, there's been talk that, you know, because of that, they could potentially want to trade James Harden. I yeah. think that could be an interesting situation, um, which makes D'Antoni a lot more viable of a candidate for somebody. If some team that's not a contender thinks that they can get James Harden because of D'Antoni, could be yeah. interesting. It is interesting. I, I mean, well, first off, Am I the only one who doesn't like Tillman Fertitta after seeing his golden oh, nugget golden, ads? Yeah. yeah, I'm good on that. <laughs> Never put yourself on TV if you're one of those guys. But I think the Rockets are in a strange period of flux because, you know, Daryl Morey's gone. Yeah, Harden was his guy. He brought him in. He basically reconstructed the team, what, three times yeah. to try to suit James Harden. He gave him Dwight Howard. He gave him Chris Paul. He gave him all these side partners to try to make it work. Uh, so the idea of him, uh, leaving would make sense in that way, even though I don't think you're going to get equal value back on James Harden from anywhere. I don't see where you could. The only thing that would contest that that's in play is I'm hearing John Lucas is one of the leading candidates for the Houston job. He hasn't had a head coaching job since the early two thousands when he was fired from Cleveland. He's a career 40% 40% winning percentage. Yeah. You take those first couple of years with the Spurs out of it, and it's really lowly and not a very good <laughs> coaching record. Yeah. And the only reason I can imagine that he's part of this conversation is because he's been with the organization this long and is has a relationship with James Harden, and James Harden has a role in picking the coach right now. And so, he'd be a lot cheaper. And he'd be a lot cheaper. <laughs> so I, I think all that stuff is in play. Um I think that's a more likely scenario than watching Harden get moved this offseason. And then last thing I want to talk about with you today, Benny, Chris Paul, for a guy as old as he is, he is the man of the offseason. Bring him to the Knicks. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Knicks, Knicks. The Knicks. Knicks should be involved in every single salary dump imaginable to try to rebuild this thing because then you're going to have, like, in order to gamble, you got to have, you know, the bring the money to the table, chips on the table. The Knicks don't really have chips right now. So if they could get, you know, I don't know, maybe like Whiteside from Portland, because I know that they're going to want to probably dump that salary since they're up against it. 
uh, the Chris Paul deal as well. So just get a bunch of these overpaid guys. If you're not going to really be able to compete this year anyway, that seems like the best way to go. I mean, if there's anything the Knicks need, right, it's it's culture. Yeah. I know it's like an overstated term and all that, but like, you know, if any team has had piss poor culture for the last 20 to 30 years, <laughs> yeah. bad decision making time and time and time again, it's the Knicks. Yeah. And if there's anything you're going to get, if you have Tom Thibodeau as a coach and, and you bring Paul. in Chris Paul as your point guard, yeah. you've got culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're going to at least be able to delineate in the youth who is going to be able to keep up with a pro-level team, who's going to advance, and who is not. And I think if you, you give that one year. You give that a shot. You have this contract that you can move. Chris Paul, I, I think they're going to sell high. They're going to get what they can for him. It's really about matching the salary on him and not really about bringing players back anyway. Mm. So uh, I love Chris Paul and the Knicks. I hope it happens so bad. Uh, I really do. It's like exactly what I want to see in New York next year, especially with Brooklyn uh, primed to take you know a, a good playoff step. And I could see a situation also where Chris Paul ends up with LeBron with your Lakers. I could see this happening because – they're not going to be able to probably keep Rondo. Rondo's going to get that last paycheck based off of what he did in the bubble. So either a Chris Paul or a, hear me out with this one, a Derrick Rose could be that nice option to kind of keep them at that championship yeah. level that yeah, they need. Yeah. I think Derrick Rose is more a likely scenario. Yeah. When when you look at the money, the way <laughs> what the Lakers would have to do to get Chris Paul and they would really have to strip the roster pretty good and yeah. start rebuilding these pieces again, which they just did last year. Um, definitely would have to lose Kuzma. Definitely, basically, all your benched rotational pieces are gone. Danny Green is gone. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the other way is a more a more likely scenario. Derrick Rose on a you know two year deal, cut and dry, easy. Um, knows how to go to the go to the places they want to go, doesn't have to take on as much as he did in Chicago or even Detroit. Mm. Um, yeah, I love that Derek Rose move if they can make it happen. I'm wondering if also in that deal, do you give up that young core, quote-unquote young core of the Lakers, which is essentially Kuzma, if they can include Blake Griffin in that deal? Now, I know there's not really room on this floor for Blake Griffin with, with the Lakers team, but I think it could be interesting maybe with him at like a like three position and Rose at like the one. Yeah, it's possible. I think it's more likely that you see one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. But I, I could see Blake Griffin make a move. There's a lot of places um, that he is needed. He's got a coming towards the end of that crazy contract yeah. where, you know, people wouldn't be bogged down as long. And he's coming off maybe like, what, a year and a half, two years ago, being a very functional player yeah. still, um, you know, uh, not worth that kind of contract, right. but still a big who can get out there and run, who can jump, who can shoot threes now and stretch the <laughs> floor, who can defend. Like Blake Griffin's a fucking good player, um, you know, and and he's a lot younger than people probably think yeah. too. Plus, his comedy career needs him to either be in New York or <laughs> LA. Let's be honest, that's it's, right. It's that's burgeoning. Right. He's got anyway. good timing. He's got good timing. <laughs> Anyway, playing ways to get in contact with the show, you can email us at thetunapodcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, that is the Tune Up HQ, the Tune Up on Twitch. You're doing a bunch of live stuff over there. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. 
Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, no more bullshit. Get those fucking flags off your lawn, you trash bags. I got kids, okay? What kind of moral bankruptcy you dealing with here? Cursing on your lawns. Come on. Fake-ass conservatives. I did. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't know there were that, that many Sixers fans and uh, no more bullshit. Anyway, this has been The Tune-Up. Thank you so much for checking out The Tune-Up this week. If you want to support our show, support the people that support us. Let's hear one more time for the new Guardrail EP, Yikes, on Open Your Ears Records. They've got catchy melodies and witty hooks. Guardrail brings their own style of diet punk right to your stereo. They're not quite bad religion, but they're also not some 41. Here's a clip of their new single, Till We're Dead. And I've been playing that one on my fall playlist, whether you're going to a cidery, pumpkin picking, it is the perfect song for that long drive. If you like what you hear, you can go on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S.com to pick up your copy. Guardrail, get the vinyl. Support hard copy music. Let's get this. Guardrail, yikes, out today on Open Your Ears Records. Go grab it.